0: Okay, my friends, we're going to go ahead and start. We're a few minutes behind, but that's uh, sort of a given when you're switching everything over to the Elk Room from the gathering place. So let's get into the Word of God here tonight. So with this, as for those of you who are new, we're doing a, a series. Um, matter of fact, I can't remember what I even called this thing. Oh, yes, God's Messages for Modern Society. I'm the one who wrote it, and I can't remember what I wrote. <laughs> Gee. Well, when you write a lot of Bible lessons all the time, when you've got over 1,000 written here, it's hard to keep track of which one's which. But anyway, tonight we're going to be talking about, as you can see, only one way, because there are certain things with our theme this summer that, um, about change, how God does not change, and what we're talking about is sort of based upon that. There are certain things about God that does not change. We talked in the first lesson about that God does not change. We talked about in the second one that um, His Word does not change. That was last week. And this week what we're going to be talking about is salvation really does not change. There's still only one way. And that's what we're going to get into tonight. So with that, let's open in prayer. Ask God to bless our time and that the Holy Spirit would come, uh, come uh, amongst us and do the teaching here. Because you don't want to be stuck with me. But let's pray to God then and get s- settled in. Father, we thank you so much for this day. And though it was a wet day for most of the time we've had, we are now enjoying sunshine and We just thank you for this, and we thank you for safety, because I know in some areas around that there were some heavy storms, but we just had the light rain, which uh, was not anything with danger here, and we thank you for that. We also, Lord, would ask that you would just bless our time here tonight. As we calm down, settle down, and get into your word, Lord, I ask that your Holy Spirit would do the teaching, that you would just open up our minds and our hearts Help us to see things in, Lord. Also, help us to realize what the truth is having to do with the ways of getting to heaven. So we ask for your guidance as we explore this and for you to impact our minds. In Jesus' name, amen. Some years back, I got injured. Those of you who know me, so what else is new? Um, but I got injured and ended up having to go to the doctor here in Rhinelander, and uh, so I, I went there, and I walked into the this doctor's office, one of the little clinics there in, in Rhinelander. And um, while I was there, it was a really interesting situation. You walk inside. Now you've all been to the doctor; you can all picture this in your mind. I walk inside the doctor's office. I go up to the window, and they said, "We well, just go take a seat in the waiting room, and we'll get to you as soon as you can." Okay. So I go over. You know how it is with when you walk into the uh, waiting room, and there's a bunch of people sitting in there. You know, the, it's, it's not a written rule, but everybody does it. You all gawk at the person. And so when I walked in, everybody's just looking at me, and I was like, oh, yeah, this is cool. <laughs> oh, I know how this routine goes. They're going to uh, watch me walk all the way across the floor, which I did, walked across, because the only seat that was available was on the opposite side of the room. And so I get to put on a show as I'm walking across. Now, because you know how it is when you're walking like that? And you know every person's eyes. I mean, there was kids in there through geriatrics. You know every pair of eyes is glancing right at you. And you're trying to figure out, am I walking correctly? Because you don't want to walk funny or something. And I went over, and I sat down in a chair and thought, okay, I survived that. And I looked around, and slowly the eyes started to go away that were drilling into me. And as I sat there, I realized, man, this place is packed. This is going to take forever to get in, in to see this doctor. Oh, oh, what can I read? Oh, I forgot to bring something to read. I always bring something to read. I forgot to bring something to read. So now I scan the room at the little tables and stuff, trying to find if there's something in here for me to read. And everybody's reading periodicals and newspapers and things like this. And I'm like, man, there's got to be something. And I spy across the room, all the way across the room, right by where I came in, there was a little table and one magazine sitting on it, cover side down. And I thought... Do I really want to go through the stair routine again? And I thought, oh, I can't just sit here for, it's going to be an hour and a half, two hours. It's going to drive me nuts. i got to read something. Maybe it's a Time magazine or something. i got to read something. So OK, take a deep breath. Let's walk back. And so we are walk back. And of course, you know how the rule is, as soon as somebody gets up, it's not been called, everybody, where does he think he's going, type thing. And I'm walking across the room, trying to walk correctly. And I go over to the table. and. I know everybody is staring at me. And I reach down and pick up the magazine. And when I picked up the magazine, to my horror, it was um, 17. (laughs) (laughs) I froze. Standing there, because now every single person in the room knows that this is 17 Magazine. And now you got to, you know, I have two choices. I can either put it back and look really stupid walking back to the chair, or I could look really stupid and carry this back and, and actually read it. And as I stood there, what seemed like quite a few years of, the, of, of my life passing before me here, I finally decided, there's nothing else to read. I'm going to read this. And so I walked back. And I remember walking back to the chair, and there was a a girl sitting with her mom. And this girl says, Mom, that old man's going to read 17. (laughs) So I sat down, and uh, I read 17. (laughs) And I survived it. it, there was an article, it was a lot about Mandy Moore. I don't know if you guys who know, know who Mandy Moore is, famous actress, singer, whatever. Um, not to be confused with the choreographer for Dances with the Stars, that's a different Mandy Moore. But this Mandy Moore, she has some TV show that was really popular. My wife absolutely loved it this past year. I don't remember what the thing was called. This Is Us? This is us? Okay, whatever. But um, Before that, <laughs> back around 2003 or so, she made a chick flick with a guy named, I think Shane West, uh, called, A walk to remember. Now, um, a walk to remember. I know most of you guys have no idea what I'm talking about because this is a chick flick, okay? Now, because being a biologist, you'd think I was smarter than this, but being a biologist, I only knew how to make girls. And so um, I have raised three girls in my house. I have quite a few chick flicks in my house, and this is one of them. I have seen this movie. I'm just curious, how many of you have seen Want to remember. Oh, I'm so glad to see another guy's hand up, thank you. And I won't say your name out loud because this is going on the internet and I don't want to embarrass you. <laughs> but okay, I saw a lot of girls. Actually, this is the biggest crowd I've, I've seen who knows this movie even. But if you don't know the movie, um, it's Mandy Moore plays this, and this is important. Mandy Moore plays this Christian gal in this movie. And of course, there's Shane West who plays the bad boy. And now I, I don't need to say anything more. You've already figured out how it's going to end. Um, the two of them are going to get married and settle down, the whole thing. But um, it's it's a really interesting movie. It's not a bad chick flick. It's, it's really not. It's it's emotional. Girls love this movie because it makes you cry, um, which guys like because then we get to, to um, comfort them. Right. So I know how to do this. you know. I married a woman. I know. And so. That's what, this is one of the scenes from the movie, and, and so when Mandy Moore made this film, um, then Seventeen did an article on her, and I, it was all about, the magazine I was reading was about this, this movie, and I had seen the movie, so I was fascinated by this. And one of the, the well, the journalist asked her many poignant questions um, about her life. For instance, um, she was raised by, uh, one parent was Roman Catholic, the other parent was Jewish. Now, that's an interesting combination in anybody's family. That is really interesting. And so, because of that, um, she does not claim in the article to be a born-again Christian. As a matter of fact, she says, I hate in some ways of doing the film because everybody now thinks I'm this born-again Christian person, and I'm not. As a matter of fact, in this, she responded, can you move that so that's a little clearer? She responded in the article that she thought Christians and Jews have a lot of nerve to say that they have the only way to get to God. A lot of nerve. She said there has to be many ways to get to God. And what she recommends to people, I love this, what she recommends to people, this is Mandy Moore, the theologian here, is to find out which way works best for you, and you go with it. Yeah, great theology. And the thing is, a lot of people have sort of jumped on that ship. That, well, I'll just use whatever different pathway takes me to God and stuff like this. And so that there's many ways of, of, of you know, getting to God. There's, there's multiple ways. Really, because the Bible says there isn't. Um, But even so, people read their Bibles really strange today. Because I have sat through some church services where I have heard people, um, well, I've listened to them on the radio. I've actually not been in the church service, but I have listened on radio um, and also on TV where these evangelists say that um, all you gotta do is love. Love, and if you love and love everybody and love God, wow, you're gonna go to heaven. I don't know where they're getting that either, because that's not actually in the Bible either. But people have come up with some of the most bizarre things and that even even born-again Christians are saying that you can get, you can actually find many different ways of of getting to to heaven and getting to God. Um, Really, I don't know if you guys caught this because this happened just a few weeks ago. There was something that happened and I'm gonna read this out of The Atlantic Uh, The periodical Atlantic, it talked about this. I hate to bring in political things, but this one is pertaining to the subject area of what we were going through. You see, recently, during a uh, conscientious confirmation hearing on President Trump's nominee, Russell Vaught, that's him there in the center, uh, for uh, deputy director of the Office of Management and Budget, there was a lot of fighting during this hearing due to Vaught being a born again Christian and being very vocal about it. Bernie Sanders of Vermont and Senator Chris Van Hollen did not endorse Vaught because of his Christian belief that Jesus was the only way to God. Chris Van Hollen from he's from Maryland, he actually stated something that just Irritated me down to the bones. Now, I'm not saying, I'm not doing this anything about their politics. I'm talking about their theology is what I'm so absolutely disgusted with. Chris Van Halen of Maryland stated, and I quote, this is in The Atlantic, but this is quoting, I'm a Christian, but part of being a Christian, in my view, is recognizing that there are lots of ways that people can pursue their God, unquote. This is Mandy Moore's theology. There's a lot of ways. And that just irritates me to no end. So I mean, we passed around this article in the Nature Center when this happened uh, with my staff. We were reading this thing because that is quite a statement from somebody who's claiming to be a born-again Christian and saying there are many ways of getting to God. Really? Well, that's what we're talking about. Because to be honest, that is the prevalent thought today. It really is and i hate to say even in some churches now today christian churches pastors are actually teaching the same the same theology and curse be upon them they should be cursed you see i've even had um, i've read some books by pastors and there's been some very famous pastors of mega churches who have now stated god will not send anyone to hell because god loves us too much really how many times did jesus talk about heaven and hell jesus said the pathway to hell is very wide people find it very easily the pathway to heaven is very small only a few people make it so if this is correct that makes jesus a liar and how can jesus lie because he is god i mean there's so many things jesus talked about about this thing It just disgusts me that this kind of thing's happening, that people today are so confused. Well, what what path should I use to get eternal life? What path? Well, I'll try this one. Oh, if that doesn't work, well, I'll try this one. Well, if that doesn't work, oh, I really like this one. Um, I don't really believe it, but I really like it, so I'm gonna follow this. And that's what's going on. I mean, really, what are you guys supposed to believe? When you have politicians, you have pastors, you have celebrities all telling you, oh, there's different ways you can get to heaven. What are you supposed to believe? I'll tell you what you're supposed to believe. You're supposed to believe what the Word of God says. That's the authority. But some people are confused. And they even think that the Bible has more than one way to obtain eternal life. I've heard pastors talk about this. They've written books on this. Like the one just before I just showed you. About love. If you love everybody as best you can, God is a God of love. And so he won't send anybody to hell. Really. Really. I don't think so. But some people will say, well, the Old Testament way of, doing, uh, of obtaining eternal life is different than the New Testament. Really? It appears that maybe to, a, to some people, but let's go through this and see. What does the Old Covenant mean? and the new covenant say you know I like to use the word covenant instead of testament when you say New Testament or Old Testament uh, you know a lot of people get confused what's that mean Testament actually the more accurate term is covenant because the old covenant a covenant is an agreement a contract the old covenant then you have the new covenant the old covenant was based upon the law Jesus came institutes the new covenant we're gonna talk about this a little bit later on in one of the other lessons we will do during this series if you're not here they'll be online probably at the end of the summer but anyway some will say that the, under the Old Covenant or Old Testament law, the way to obtain salvation was really simple. All you had to do is to, to offer the right sacrifice at the right time. You know, you take your lamb or your turtle dove or your ox or whatever, and you sacrifice it at the right feast and, and do the, the requirements of the feast, voila, you get eternal life. All you got to do is just these acts of doing sacrificing and celebrating the, celebra- you know, the holidays and stuff. And, and doing that in the correct order, that's how you get there. Actually, that's not correct. Not if you read your Bible carefully, that is not correct. In the book of Amos, let me just give you a little rundown of what's going on in the book of Amos. Amos um, has a story here about God mocking the Israelites' sacrifices. The Israelites were going through the sacrifices. They were doing them. And he's not mocking them because of the act of doing it. It's because they, uh, they were offering them, but it's the way that they were offering them. They were just going through the motions. You get this now? Just the motions of doing the sacrifice. If I do this sacrifice, if I offer this lamb for a burnt offering, God will be at peace, and I'll be right with God, and I can then go out and live my life however I want, because God's you know, his, his case is all, all settled. Everything is, all his requirements are there. And that's what they, some people think. But that's what was going on with these Israelites. They were going through the sacrifices, they were tithing, they were sacrificing, they were celebrating the celebrations, but the problem was Their hearts were not in it. They had not repented and were not trusting God. They were just going through actions. And as I talked about one night before, there is a difference between forgiveness and repentance. Huge difference. Huge difference. Because forgiveness is just saying, hey, I'm sorry. Repentance is saying, yeah, I'm sorry, and I promise I will do everything to never do that again. Big difference. They were just going through the actions of offering a sacrifice. Okay, God, I'm sorry. I'm saying I'm sorry. You hear my words? I'm sorry. So that means you have to forgive me, and so now I'm okay with you. Uh-uh. They were not repentant. Because they were, as soon as they were doing their sacrifice, they were back out doing everything evil that they thought of. So it was like, okay, I'm, I'm trying to get my, my act up. Uh, Uh, pleased with God now, trying to get all this this correct with him, so now I can go and do whatever I want. That was their their thing. And so that's what Amos is is writing about when he writes in Amos chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. And God is mocking them. Remember, this is mocking. This isn't actually God saying, go do this. This is God mocking them. He says, go to Bethel and sin. Go to Gilgal and sin more. Bring your, facri- your sacrifice every morning, your tithes every three days. Offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving of that which is leavened and proclaim free will offerings and brag about them. For this pleases you, you children of Israel, so says the Lord. He's making fun of them. What's he making fun of? The tithing that they're doing. They were tithing, they're bringing sacrifices, thanksgivings, uh, free will offerings. They were going through the motions, but it wasn't in their heart. That's the thing about repentance. Repentance goes deep into the heart. Forgiveness does not necessarily. I mean, we have all probably asked for forgiveness at some point. And, like, remember when your parents would say, okay, ask, tell her you're sorry. And you do. You mouth the words, but did you really mean it? No. I'm doing it because he tells me I have to. I'm sorry. Forgive me. Oh, come on we've all done this that's what they were doing with God that's how bad this gets so that's what was happening but under and that's not correct you see this is not the way salvation worked under the old covenant people were saved by faith not the actions of doing the sacrifice if they were saved by doing the sacrifices God would have mocked them but they're saved by faith through and this is very important the blood that was necessary for the atonement of sins it's not the act of doing the sacrifice that saved them it was the faith in the blood of the sacrifice that saved them that is the key thing and that's what's going to go into the new testament just as well now let me show you where this comes from just because make sure you can see this in the Old Covenant law. Here it is. In Leviticus chapter 17, verse 11, God is telling Moses to tell the people, for the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. Now get this last part of this verse. For it is the blood that makes atonement by the life. Blood has to be spilt from the first sin. When Adam and Eve sinned, When they did the first sin back in Genesis chapter 3, remember they tried to fix it themselves, right? What did they try and cover up their sin with? Fig leaves. Did it work? Uh, No. God clothed them with what? Animal Animal skin. Where did God get the animal skin? He says, oh, hold on. Those fig leaves look terrible on you. That was last year's season. Let me show you what's really cool. Fur's in this year. And poof, he just makes, here's a beautiful fur-lined bikini for her. And, And he's got the Fred Flintstone outfit here. And boy, now you got, oh, you look really good. Now you're covered. No, there's something else going on. God killed an animal. An innocent animal was killed. The blood was shed. From the very, very first sin all the way through, God sent the president's on His law, that only blood makes atonement for life. Sacrificing does not. The act of the sacrifice does not. The act of tithing does not. The act of following the celebrations does not. It is the blood that makes atonement. Now, some of you might say, okay, that's the Old Testament, not the New Testament. Well, look what's in Hebrews. That's a book in the New Testament. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. Now get this. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. See it? Both the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, blood is what atones for sin. It has to take blood. That's the only way. So, Old Testament law required people, yeah, they had to sacrifice, but it's the blood. They would collect the blood. For the atonement of the sins. By the way, the word atonement, don't let that word scare you. It just means to appease or to, to cover over. To cover up. To get rid of that thing. You know, the, the, to, uh, uh, to just appease God's anger. It takes blood. That's what it takes. In other words, death. And what did God say? Any Any sin results in death. That's the the law. That's the way God is. Why? Because He is such a holy God. He cannot be in the presence of sin. Sin cannot come into the presence of God. It doesn't work like that. He is so holy. As it says, none of us with sin can even look on the face of God without dying. That's how the system is set up. So God said, not Michael Lane, not Billy Graham, not anybody, this is what God said, that the only way to cover over sin is by death and blood. This required faith, though, through the blood, that God would keep his promise and atone them. It's the faith that the blood is going to do that. Now, that's the same message that Paul... Spoke to the Galatian church. When Paul went to Galatia on his missionary journey, and Galatia is present day central Turkey. That's where I'm showing you a map because most people have no idea where Galatia was. It was this province through here, a lot of cities in there. And when Paul went there, he witnessed as a missionary, and a lot of people uh, became Christians. They acknowledged that Jesus was the Passover lamb, that his blood was shed for all mankind. And if you accept that offering, Jesus' blood covers us better than any type of animal blood could because his is the blood of a human and also the blood of God. So Paul said, that's how you are saved. Then Paul went back home. And then people came in to the Galatian churches. These other Christian ministers, we're not told their names, but Paul talks about that these other people came in and started preaching, wait a minute, you're not just saved by the blood of Christ. You've got to go back and do the sacrifices. Hey, you men you men need to be circumcised to be saved. Hey, those celebrations that the, uh, the Jews go through, the holidays, you've got to do that. Uh, you've know, got to keep Passover. You've got to keep Pentecost. You've got to do all that stuff to actually be saved. And then Paul writes... <laughs> You know, Paul's, this, this is a great book if you have not ever done a really good book study on Galatians just sit down in the next week and just read through Galatians Paul is very upset that these people have been listening to these, uh, these pastors who have gone in or these preachers who have gone in and started preaching a different gospel and he actually says even if an angel of God comes down and preaches a different gospel than the one I taught you he's accursed yeah so looking in Galatians chapter 3 verses 6 through 9 about salvation look what it says just as abraham believed god it was counted to him as righteousness know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of abraham and the scripture foreseeing that god would justify the gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to abraham saying in you shall all the nations be blessed so then those who are all of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Do you see that you are saved by faith? Look how many times the word faith appears in that short passage. We are saved by faith. You're not saved by doing actions, like doing sacrifices, following. I know, I know some Christians, I do, I know some Christians that believe that you have to do the, sac- or the, not the sacrifices, but the holidays, the Jewish holidays, to actually appease God. That is not true. That's the same thing that Paul was arguing and trying to teach these Galatians. That is not true doctrine. Yet they were falling for this. So that's what's going on here. So Paul is telling them, no, that's, you're saved through faith. That's how you're saved. Paul continues by telling us that doing the acts of the law, going through the actions, going through the deeds, does not save you if you break even just one law. If you break one rule, break one commandment, break one Old Testament law, you are doomed to die. Those sacrifices, you know, are are and with all these different ceremonies and stuff, that's not going to do things. It's not going to help you in getting to heaven. Galatians 3, 10 and 11, for all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse, for it's written, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. Here it is again, righteous live by faith. But you see, people were saying, that if, well we keep the Old Testament law, if we go back and we do the sacrifices and we do the ceremonies and stuff like that, that, that makes a you know better Christians and stuff no it doesn't because those Old Testament laws nobody can do those Paul even said I was a Pharisee of Pharisees I tried to keep every cotton pick in one of God's laws and I could not do it nobody can do it and if you break one you're doomed you're cursed so there has to be a different way so we are saved by faith, not by the actions of doing ceremonies. You're not saved by the, by the action of putting money into an offering plate. You're not saved by going through, even if you were to take animals that are that is still done on Mount Gerizim in Israel, the Samaritans still to this day will do, take sheep up there. They will slaughter the sheep and sacrifice them on an altar. Samaritans still do that at Mount Gerizim every single year that does not save them. Because you're not saved by these actions, by these deeds of the law, you are saved by faith. Let me prove it to you also in the New Testament about how you are saved in the Old Testament. There's a very familiar passage to most Christians called Hebrews chapter 11. It's a great chapter. Many times they call it the Hall of Faith because it lists all these famous biblical characters of the Old Testament, and it talks briefly about them. And there's some great lessons that we can learn from them from this passage. But let me just show you how you are saved. In verse four, it says, by faith, Abel. In verse five of chapter 11, it says, by faith, Enoch. In verse seven, it says, by faith, Noah. Verse eight, by faith, Abraham. Verse 20, by faith, Isaac. Verse 21, by faith, Jacob. 22, by faith, Joseph. Verse 23, by faith, Moses. Verse 29, by faith, the people. And it ends here with verse 31, by faith, the prostitute Rahab, or Rahab. How were they saved? Faith. Not doing sacrifices. They were saved by faith, the trusting in God. Let me prove it to you in another way, using the Bible still some more here. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, it says, Without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever will draw near to God must believe that he exists, and he rewards those who seek him. Faith is necessary. Faith is the one doorway to come into God. Faith is what is necessary to get to heaven, to have eternal life with God. It is by faith. You just keep seeing this over and over and over. And as God said... It is the blood, the faith in the blood. In the New Covenant that we have, the New Testament, it's the faith in the blood of what Christ did. It saves you. Not head knowledge about Jesus, and we'll come to that in a lesson later on too, but you are saved by the faith through the blood. Do you remember in the Old Testament there was a structure that was called the tabernacle? Tabernacle is a fascinating thing. And I tell you, many years ago when I was doing youth group at Pine Grove here in um, Rhinelander, we did a series with the youth group one year on the tabernacle. And you might be thinking, being teenagers and stuff, oh my gosh, what'd you try and do? Kill your youth group? Do a study on the tabernacle? That has got to be the most dry thing. Did anybody survive? Actually, if you talk to some of these people, some of you know like Daniel McLaughlin and others um, who were on that thing danny if you ask her today danny will say because she's she's often told me this she says of all the series you did that was the one that really hit me the tabernacle why I mean, that's where you're starting to read. Remember reading the Bible? You're going to, oh, God, this year, January 1st, I'm going to promise to read my Bible every day. And you start in Genesis 1, you go right through. Oh, these are cool stories. Oh, we get into here, you know, Jacob, you know, Abraham, Jacob, Joseph. Oh, we get to the Joseph story. It's so cool. Then you get to Exodus. Oh, this is so neat. Moses. And ooh, the plagues. I love that. And then you, you know, the Exodus, they go through the Red Sea. Wow. And then you get to the Mount Sinai. Oh, boy, the Ten Commandments and all this. This is so much fun. Then you get to the structure of the tabernacle, and you're going, oh, my gosh. <laughs> Is this why I'm supposed to take a nap, Lord? You know, because that's like the most dry thing to a lot of people. But I'll tell you, it's one of the most exciting passages in Scripture. And it's one that God wants us to know. Let me go on one little rabbit trail just for a moment. Let me show you something. People often get hung up on the creation. How everything came into being. Big topic even today. How many chapters of the Bible, of the entire Bible, does God give us On how he did everything. Two, Genesis 1 and 2. Do you know how many chapters he gave us on the structure of the tabernacle? A lot. (laughs) It's like 27. Now, in God's opinion, which one do you think is more important? Tabernacle. Why? What was the tabernacle? The tabernacle, and later the temple was built upon the same system, where the, was the place where, and it was a movable tent, of course, but where God manifested his presence among his people. He manifested his presence. God is a spirit, Jesus even tells us that when he's talking to the woman of the well. But he appeared at the Ark of the Covenant. The word tabernacle actually means to dwell with. It's not a name for a fancy tent, like today we have Coleman or something. It's not, ooh, Coleman, ooh, I have a tabernacle, mine's better. No, no, it wasn't like that. Tabernacle means just to dwell with. So what dwelling, who's dwelling with what? God dwelling with in the midst of his people. And his presence appeared over the lid of the Ark of the Covenant, and that was called the mercy seat, where the blood was poured. But he spoke to Moses from that spot. And it says that there was a bright Shekinah glory that went up and lit up the entire camp. Man, this had to be cool to see. To be able to just stand there and whoa, when God's presence is there. Boy, I would love to see that. And all the people are camped around it. Now let me show you something else that's really interesting. If you were living back, if we were all people of Israelites back in this time period, you just couldn't say, well, I think I'll pitch my tent over there and I'll just go over here and put my tent here. You just couldn't do that. Oh, next week, I think I'll put it over here. And you go over here. Like, I want to be in front of the Sioux cabin. No, I think I'll be over closer to the gathering place, a more spiritual place. Maybe I'll, I'll get really close to the tabernacle, close to the presence of God. No, you were assigned places by your tribe. The tribe that you... We're in, we're assigned different places around the tabernacle. So here's the tabernacle sitting here the bronze altar, the opening, the bronze, um, the bronze altar, the bronze laver. That's bronze. Go inside, everything's gold. The holy place, you have the table of showbread, you have the menorah, the altar of incense. Then there's the curtain separating the holy place from the holy of holies where the Ark of the Covenant sat. And that's where God's presence was manifest. So the thing is, you have all these tribes around here. Let me ask you a question, first of all. How many openings? To come into the presence of God, how many openings are there in the tabernacle? One. You can't say, well, I think I'll just meet with God by going this direction. I'll go to the altar, but I'm going to go through this side. No, you couldn't. Well, I'm over here. I'll just go through the back door. No, there is no back door. There's only one way. Only one way. And do you notice the tribe that is parked right in front of the opening? Judah. You think that was chosen at random? No, No, because the Messiah comes from the tribe of Judah. To come into the presence of God, the tribe of Judah is what you pass through, or what you use, and of course, Jesus is a descendant of Judah. How cool is that? I mean, here's the genealogy. You have Jesus here, and if you follow, either um, Mary or Martha, uh, Mary or uh, Joseph's genealogy, it doesn't matter. You're going to come back to King David, and you keep going from King David, Jesse, o, uh, Obed, you keep going up, and finally you come to Judah, the Messiah. That's how you came into the presence of God. Do you see why Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This goes back to the tabernacle. Every piece of the tabernacle also, if you don't know this, is messianic. There's a prophecy about the Messiah in every single piece. And not only that, each one of the uh, the sacrifices are all pointing to the Messiah. Every holiday that they had pointed to the Messiah. Everything was set up like that. Jesus said, you just can't go your own way. You just can't figure out any which way you want to come in. No. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So any pastor who stands up and said, there are multiple ways of getting to God is calling Jesus a liar. And that's pretty serious business to call God a liar. (laughs) I don't want to do that. But that's what's going on today. Going back to Paul with Galatians. Look what he says. A person is not justified by works of the law by keeping the Old Testament, doing all those deeds and stuff. No, you're not justified that way. But through faith in Jesus Christ. We also believed in Jesus Christ in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. You cannot work your way into heaven, is what he is saying. It's that simple. You just can't go in on your own. You cannot find your own way into heaven. And what is fascinating too about this whole thing is this passage here that we know very frequently and we quote very easily. uh, Ephesians chapter two, eight and nine tells us how we're saved. For by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one can boast. I mean everybody, you learn this one in Sunday school and in Awanas, this is one of the key verses you learn. We're not saved, uh, through doing the works of the sacrifices. We're not saved by doing tithing. We're not saved by doing um, the following the ceremonies and the celebrations. We're not saved by just loving everyone. You're saved by faith, that's it. And faith in and what it says in Galatians, faith in Christ. Now, we're gonna be getting into what is faith in the next lesson. I'm gonna do two lessons I told you in the introduction the first night so important because we're going to get into what is faith. Because a lot of people don't really understand what faith is. And I can't go into it tonight. I can't even do it in one night. We need two nights to do that. So there's two nights. I'm going to do part one, part two on faith. But you are saved by faith. That is the key thing. Mandy Moore and that Maryland senator, or congressman I guess he is, Uh, not very great theologians. They're they're really not that good at theology. Particularly the congressman who says that being a Christian, my view is there's many ways. I mean, I, I don't wanna judge anybody, but I really wonder if the guy's a Christian because he's sure not going from what the scriptures say. Faith is required. Unfortunately, though, there's many people who love what these people say, like Mandy Moore and this politician and these pastors who are now preaching this theology of love. They have so bought into this lie because it's easy. And we don't have to do anything with Christ then. All we gotta do, they've thrown Christ out of the whole equation. All you gotta do is love. You don't have to believe in Christ. You don't have to have faith and commitment into Christ. You don't have to have this blood to cover your sins, to, uh, to atone for your sins. You don't need any of that, is what they're saying. But God is saying, no, there's only one way, and it's through sins are only atoned for by blood. And the blood of an animal is not going to do it. It's the blood of Jesus Christ, who is better than any blood of any animal can cover all of our sins. But we shouldn't find this too surprising that the world today is saying this because look what Paul wrote to Timothy about this, um, about the end times coming and how people are gonna act. In 2 Tim 4, verses three and four, he says this. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. Boy, is that true, huh? But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. It seems like Paul just wrote this last week. He wrote this 2,000 years ago, talking about what's going to happen in the period we are living. And this is exactly what's going on. So folks, there is only one way to salvation. Just like the temple, the tabernacle only had one door. Jesus says, I am the door. How many times did he talk about that in parables and stuff? That he was the door. There's only one way to come into the presence of God. It's through the blood of Jesus Christ. And if you're believing that something else that you're doing is going to get you in better relationship with God, well, if I I do this, God will love me more. (laughs) God already loves you with a type of love that we call agapeo, agape love. Acapeo, the ultimate, uh, uh, ultimate love. That's what God has for you. You can't do anything to make God love you more. But to say that, well, that's good enough, you have to. that's all you've got to have is just love of God and love of fellow man, that'll get me into heaven. You've just made God a liar. And if that's the case, let me ask you this, and I'll close. If we could be good enough, if we could be good enough on our own to save ourselves like that, why did Jesus have to die? Father, we thank you for this time we've had here tonight, and I ask that your spirit just continue the teaching. Help them, Lord, who are listening to this in this room or over the internet, not to put their faith and trust in these crazy pastors or these crazy actors and celebrities, or even congressmen that twist your word just like Satan did in the garden with Adam and Eve when he said, God did not say, Lord, help them not to listen to such lies. Your word is very specific. Old covenant, new covenant. We are saved by faith through the blood. Help us to hold on to that tightly. Because that is truth. And Jesus, you are the only way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.